Well, turn with me, if you would, to the Psalms, to Psalm 103. And today we'll be looking at verse 5, the fifth of the great blessings that the psalmist outlines at the very beginning of this psalm. And they're a complete unit in themselves, and really they include the rest of the psalm. And so this will be our last Sunday in Psalm 103 before we move on. You know, one of the most important ways a church can grow through a pastoral transition, as I mentioned earlier in the service, rather than just going through a pastoral transition, is to be captivated in preparation for the next pastor, to be captivated not by a pastor but by the Savior, and to be contented in the arms of the Father. It's one of the most important ways to be ready for the next pastor, which is why we started, I guess it was now seven weeks ago, believe it or not, uh, in Revelation, and the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of the Savior, the King, all of who he is. And then we went there from there to here, to the Psalm of the Father, Psalm 103. We've been seeing that there, uh, is, there is a father hunger in us all, one that is as all-encompassing as the sky, or at least to, can feel that way, one that no pastor, that no mere mortal can satisfy. And it's so important that our father hunger be satisfied, that, that we be rooted and grounded in him, that this is the ultimate reason, we're told in First Peter, why Christ came, and that is to bring us to the Father. So that we could share with the Father what Christ shares, the only begotten with him. That kind of intimacy, intimacy, that kind of power, that kind of strength. And so once again today, we'll be seeing how the Father fills us. How he fills us now that we've been brought to the Father by the Son. How our eyes can be opened, we'll see how he fills us with really blessings beyond measure. Psalm 103, starting in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. You know, for many years when my children were younger, I would use the same bedtime prayer with them almost every night, a prayer by which I tried to fill their cup with the blessings of the Father because I knew someday I'd be gone. And they needed him ultimately more than they needed me. That prayer changed over the years. It got longer or shorter, but it went about like this. I wrote it down. Thank you, Father, for this day and for all that you have filled it with. Thank you for the good food and for the good times and for such a good family and for this good home and for a good night's sleep. Thank you for all the sights and sounds and smells and the colors and the pleasures and for everything that you fill your good earth with. It's so good, Father, to be alive in this world that you've created. You are so good to us, and we just want to thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I do the same in many ways in my own daily prayers to this day as I get ready in the morning. Uh, as, uh, you know, as I get up and look blearily into the mirror and then look quickly away from the mirror, you know, the, and the more you think, can that be me? It's like Tennyson said, our sons inherit us, our looks are strange. 
Ever felt that way? But as I flossed my teeth and brushed, uh, and brushed them and shave and trimmed the mustache and combed the hair, well, I used to comb the hair, but as I go through the same routine for the umpteenth time, whether I feel like it or not, I'll always begin my conversation each day, as some of you do, uh, with God by saying, thank you, Father, for the joy and the wonder that it is to be alive in this world that you've created. Thank you for the gifts and the surprise uh, of this new day. Thank you for the sights and sounds and colors and scents. Thank you for the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, for the love which from our birth, from you, over and around us lies. For the all of that. Thank you for creating us, for redeeming us, for justifying, sanctifying, glorifying us so one day we'll be in heaven forever and all this is just the blink of a life. Thank you. Compared to what you've done, compared to what you are doing, compared to what you will do, I've got nothing more to ask, Father. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. There's a whole lot in this one sentence. It's not just an obscure teaching in scripture about, you know, a few good things. No, it's about the abundance of good things that fills this good earth. And it's all over the place in his word. As we look at Roman numeral one in your notes, scriptures on his good things. Acts 14, 17, for instance, it says he did not leave himself without a witness and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Psalm 104.14, he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine which makes men's heart glad so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food which sustains men's hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.12, there is nothing better than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, every man who eats and drinks and sees good in his labor, it is the gift of God. James 1.17, for every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above coming down from who? The Father, the Father of lights. In Ephesians, Paul says that every family derives its name from him, which means that every family is a gift from him, from deep in his fatherly nature as a way of caring for his sons and daughters. First Timothy 6.17, Paul says he richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. In First Timothy 4.3, he says, everything created by God is good, and so we're to take nothing for granted, he says, but we're to share in everything gratefully. We're to share gratefully in the things he shares with us so generously. Let me say that again. Rather than just taking these things for granted, the Father wants to fill our cup as we share gratefully in the things that he shares with us so generously which is just what's happening to David here in Psalm 103. His cup is being filled as he does this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I don't think the world looked like that to him because his cup was full. The bottom line is this. This world is a veritable cornucopia. It is a horn of plenty that is 
bursting with good things that are pressed down, shaken together, running over and poured out into our laps. So you might say our verse for today is the tip. And the other verses that I quoted and many, many more are the iceberg. It's one of my favorite subjects and today I'll be illustrating it with some of my favorite stories and quotations that I've collected over the years about how he satisfies our years with good things. I'll be following Christ's example who again and again would illustrate the truth with parables and stories as we move from Roman numeral one in your notes, scriptures on his good things, to Roman numeral two, stories of his good things, stories that demonstrate and vindicate this truth of scripture. And some pictures. That's a painting by Albert Bierstadt. He was a 19th century German-American painter best known for his landscapes of the American West. And to do this, he joined several journeys of the westward expansion. He wanted to open people's eyes to the presence of God in the creation through his lavish, sweeping landscapes, a presence that we can so take for granted. He wanted to take people to uh, take people from this to this, just like David does. You know, when we were ministering in Estes Park back in the 90s, as I got ready each morning, I'd look out the bathroom window at Mount Meeker and the Twin Sisters and Long's Peak, our home faced east, and we had great views uh, of all three. And I'd say, Lord, help me not to take any of this for granted. But I did. You know, as the, as the sun crested the horizon, sometimes I think of the story about the day the sun didn't rise. Ever heard of that one? It says, six o'clock came and there was no sign of dawn. At seven o'clock, there wasn't a ray of light. At noon, it was as black as midnight and not a single bird sang. Just the hoot of an owl and the swoop of a bat. No one slept that night. In fact, every church was packed with people and they were all on their knees And there they stayed the whole night long. And the next morning, billions of tear-stained faces turned toward the east. And when the sky started to glow ruby red, there was a shout that could be heard around the world. Take the sun for granted. It's kind of like Ziggy did. I don't know if you remember the Ziggy cartoon series. He's watching this spectacular sunset and it's streaming towards him and it's flooding over him like a wind and his hair is going backward and he's saying, yay, God. There it is. It's like David said in Psalm, 1, in Psalm 19, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, rejoicing as a strong man to run his course. Yea, God. His mercies are new every morning. Praise God for the rising of the sun. Lamentations 3, 23. Great is thy faithfulness who satisfies our years with so many good things. It's like Rabindranath Tagore said. He's an Indian poet, and he wrote a poem once for his granddaughter. And in this poem, he compared how he felt when he gave her presence to how God feels with us as he satisfies our years with good things. He said, when I bring you colored toys, my child, I understand why there is such a play of colors in clouds. 
on water and why flowers are painted in tints when I give colored toys to you, my child. When I sing to make you dance, I truly know why there is music in leaves and why waves send their chorus of voices to the heart of the listening earth when I sing to make you dance. When I bring sweet things to your greedy hands, my child, I know why there is honey in the cup of the flower. And why fruits are secretly filled with sweet juice when I bring sweet things to your greedy hands. When I kiss your face to make you smile, my darling, I surely understand what pleasure streams from the sky in morning light and whose delight brings the summer breeze to my body when I kiss you to make you smile. Reminds me of the hymn, this is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Have you felt him kiss your face to make you smile in the summer breeze? Do you feel the pleasure that streams from heaven in the morning light, mercies that are new every morning? Yet it's so easy to take it all for granted. Sometimes As I brush my teeth for the umpteenth time and the sun comes up for the umpteenth time and I'm bored with it, even as I pray my my prayer of thanks, sometimes my heart is not moved. And when that happens, I think of what G.K. Chesterton wrote. He said over and over, God does things. Over and over, almost like a child, God says, do it again. He says it every morning. He says, do it again to the sun. And he says, do it again every evening to the moon with the undying appetite and appreciation of infancy. But we have sinned and grown old. And so our father is younger than we. And so heaven lies about us in our infancy, but at length it fades into the light of common day. It's like Annie Dillard said. She's a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. She said, an infant, you may have noticed this with your grandkids, an infant who has just learned to hold up his head has a frank and forthright way of gazing about him in wonder and bewilderment. But in just a couple of years, we take on the cocksure air of a squatter who has come to feel he owns the place. Oh, we must do share gratefully in the things he shares with us so generously lest we grow old prematurely. And to this end, he gives us all things richly to enjoy. You know, I used to do a lot of thinking about marriage before it happened to me. I didn't get married until I was 29. And among other things, I wondered how you could ever take the gift of a wife for granted. But then I got married and I did take her for granted. And sometimes I do, even though I hit the jackpot. You know, and then I wonder how you could ever take the gift of a child for granted. We we went through years of infertility. It was one of the hardest trials of our lives, and there they were some of the hardest, longest years of our lives. And we had friends in our small group, you know, who couldn't put their clothes in the same closet without getting pregnant. (laughs) But. But even we, after years of infertility, even we could fail to share gratefully in the children that he had shared with us so generously. 
I'll never forget years ago when Julie and I were driving back to Houston where our first church was from Loveland where Julie's folks have uh, lived for many, many years. And God had finally given us a child, our first child, the first of what was to be three. And there he was, our little Gerber baby boy sitting in the front seat next to his daddy. And we were, the two of us were just proudly cruising down the highway. Julie was in the back seat. And he, he had had diarrhea, but we thought it was over. Well, as it turned out, it was over, but not quite in the way that we thought because I looked over and it was all over him again, okay? And it was all over the car seat and the floor and we only had one diaper left. So we stopped and cleaned it all up and I thought, well, we're sure to run into some place that sells diapers before that happens again. Let me tell you something. Never assume anything when, when you're in the middle of West Texas, Because presently, I turned again, a proud father, to gaze upon my Gerber baby boy, and this time, it was all over his mouth. Okay? He, and he was looking at me, and he was holding up his hand in my direction, and his hand was dripping. <laughs> and he couldn't talk yet. He was a very bright boy. He communicated long before he talked, but it was like he was saying, Daddy, look, it happened again. Do something. <laughs> and, uh, and Daddy yelled to the back seat, Julie, it happened again. Do something. <laughs> And Julie said, I can't handle this. And Daddy said, neither can I, I'm driving. And Daddy was glad he was driving. (laughs) And so there we were in the middle of the God-forsaken plains of West Texas without a single clean diaper and without a town in sight. And I assure you, it was no longer a Gerber baby boy I was looking at. It was... It was the same baby, but it was a totally different daddy. It's like someone said that that if eyes were daggers, that boy would have been dead. (laughs) Well, believe it or not, and to this day I believe in miracles thanks to this experience, we actually found another diaper in the car. Spontaneous creation. I'm sure that's what it was. Out of nothing. It was like manna from heaven in the wilderness of West Texas. from the one who continues to share generously even when we fail to respond gratefully. Reminds me of Emily in our town. Pulitzer Prize winning play by Thornton Wilders. How many of you have seen our town in years past? In it, he he extols the blessedness of uh, ordinary living, of ordinary things, of ordinary people, ordinary blessings that we often fail to appreciate until it's too late. That's the overall storyline. Emily is the main character, and we see her through her youth, her adolescence, her marriage, and then finally at the end of the play, her pregnancy and the joy of it, and then, of course, she dies in childbirth. The next scene is the cemetery. It's just after the funeral, Emily's funeral. The dead, including Emily, are sitting on chairs on the left-hand side of the stage, each of them by their grave. Their loved ones are on the right-hand side of the stage, and they're filing away after the graveside service, walking slowly, some weeping bitterly. The dead are watching the living. And all of a sudden, Emily speaks. She says, live people don't understand, do they? An older woman replies, no, dear, not very much. Emily, they're sort of shut up in little boxes, aren't they? 
Well, after more conversation, Emily gets it into her head that she wants to go back. And they all warn her, don't do it. It's not what you're gonna, you, you think it's going to be. But she's a strong-willed girl, and so she insists on it. And she goes back anyway. She goes back to the year uh, of her 12th birthday. Stage manager, it's 1899, Emily. This is 14 years ago. Emily, oh, that's the town I knew as a little girl. And look, there's the old white fence that used to be around our house. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. I love it so. Are they inside? Stage manager, yes, your mother will be coming downstairs in a minute to make breakfast. Emily, will she? Stage manager, and you remember your father had been away for several days. He came back on the early morning train. Emily, no. Stage manager, he'd been back to his college to make a speech in western New York in Clinton. Emily, look, there's Howie Newsom. There's our policeman, but he's dead. He died. Children, uh, Mrs. Webb. Children, Wally, Emily, time to get up. Emily, Mama, I'm here. Oh, how young Mama looks. I didn't know Mama was ever that young. Mrs. Webb, you can come and dress by the fire, Emily, if you like, but hurry. Emily, with an effort. Mama, I can't find my blue hair ribbon anywhere. Mrs. Webb, just open your eyes, dear, that's all. I laid it out for you special on the dresser there. If it were a snake, it'd bite you. Emily, softly. I can't bear it. They're so young and beautiful. Why did I ever have to get old? Mama, I'm here. I'm grown up. I love you all, everything. I can't look at everything hard enough. Good morning, Mama, Mrs. Webb. She crosses to embrace and kiss her in her characteristic matter-of-fact manner. Well, now, dear, a very happy birthday to my girl and many happy returns. There are some surprises waiting for you on the kitchen table. Emily, oh, Mama, you shouldn't have. She throws an anguished glance at the stage manager. I can't. I can't. Mrs. Webb, facing the audience over her stove. But birthday or no birthday, I want you to eat your breakfast good and slow. I want you to grow up to be a good, strong girl. Mrs. Webb, that in the yellow paper is something I found in the attic among your grandmother's things. You're old enough to wear it now, and I thought you'd like it. Emily, and this is from you. Why, Mama, it's just lovely, and it's just what I wanted. It's beautiful. She flings her arms around her mother's neck while her mother goes on cooking. Mrs. Webb, well, I hope you'd like it. Hunt it all over. Your Aunt Noah couldn't find one in Concord, so I had to send it all the way to, all the way to Boston. Mrs. Webb, off stage. Where, Mr. Webb, where's my girl? Where's my birthday girl? Emily. In a loud voice to the stage manager, I can't, I can't go on. It goes so fast. We don't have time to look at one another. She breaks down sobbing. The lights dim on the left half of the stage. Mrs. Webb disappears. I didn't realize. So all that was going on and we never noticed. Take me back up the hill to my grave. But first, wait, one more look. Goodbye, 
Goodbye, world. Goodbye, Grover's Corners, Mama and Papa. Goodbye to clocks ticking and Mama's sunflowers and food and coffee and new iron dresses and hot baths and sleeping and waking up. Oh, earth, you're too wonderful for anybody to realize you. She looks toward the stage manager and asks through her tears, do any human beings ever realize life while they live it? Every, every minute? Stage manager, no. Pause. The saints and poets, maybe. They do some. Emily, I'm ready to go back. like Louis Armstrong, Louis Armstrong used to sing. Remember the old hymn, the song, What a Wonderful World. They played it at Cheryl Vallette's memorial service yesterday right here in this room. Another loved one like Emily who died prematurely. She didn't take all this for granted, which is why they played it. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white. The bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies crying, I watch them grow. They'll learn much more than I'll ever know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. You know, we sing of it all the time. For the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, for the love which from our birth over and around us lies, which pretty much sums up all we've been seeing today. For the love which from our birth over and around us lies through the good things of the Father. For the beauty of each hour of the day and of the night, hill and vale and tree and flowers, sun and moon and stars of night, Lord of all, to thee we raise and we're filled as we do. This our hymn of grateful praise with all that is within us. So when I feel some anxiety, I'll say, this is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees and skies and seas, his hands, the wonders wrought. When I'm feeling empty or lonely, I sing for the love which from our birth over and around us lies. You know, Rainer Johnson wrote a book called The Watcher of the Hills. And in it, he gives a detailed account of people who have experienced the reality of the Father's love through the uh, wonders of this wonderful world. And this one was typical. He said, It seemed as if the world itself were nothing but love, and not merely placid benevolence, but active, fervent, devoted love, and nothing else. He said, to me, the whole world seemed in a blaze of love. 
Do you see that? Just like it was for Albert Bierstadt in his lavish, sweeping landscapes. Cecil Osborne, a pastor, said, I have reason to accept the validity of these reports. For once I had a similar experience. I'd been preparing a sermon on the love of God. For a week I had read and thought about the subject. On Sunday morning I went over my sermon notes and then for some reason I decided to walk to church rather than drive as I usually did. Upon opening the door of our house it happened. I walked out into a world I had never seen before. The familiar things were there as usual, but they were all different. They were clothed in a radiance and a beauty beyond description. I became part of the whole, embracing it, and it embraced me. I almost feared to breathe lest the experience dissolve. It was beauty, but it was also deeper than beauty. And then suddenly I knew what it was. It was love. It was the love of God. The whole world was a vast system of love, of loving kindness, as the scripture says, that extends to the heavens. Love was at the heart of everything, and God was in everything, and everything was in God, and God was inexpressible love. You know, when the world feels empty, we just need our eyes to be opened as we share gratefully in the things he shares with us so generously. It can fill us deeply to see. When we see how richly he supplies us with all things to enjoy, all we need to do is to see, to see, and then maybe to sing. But before we do, you can fill in the blanks at the bottom of your notes under the summary. The whole world is a cornucopia, C-O-R-N-U-C-O-P-I-A. That's the summary. The whole world is a cornucopia, a horn of plenty of the the fill-in-the-blank love. Of the love which from our fill-in-the-blank birth over and around us lies. And he can fill us as with all that is within us. We just thank him for his faithfulness. So shall we do that right now?